My name's Mel Herbert, and he's Tom Wolfson. We're going to be talking about the cars, the batteries, the solar panel, the stock price, the man, the myth. We're going to be talking about everything Tesla. Why? Because we're... Talking. 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 Talking Tesla. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's time for Talking Tesla 17. His name is Tom Wolfson. Boom! My name is Mel Herbert. Boom! We're going to be doing a lot. We're going to hit this fast because the big thing we're doing on this podcast, we've got a couple of interviews which we're excited about, right? Yeah, oh, we're excited about those interviews, but the, we're real excited about an email you got last week forwarded to me. Oh, we've been invited. Well, when I say we, I mean Mel, has been invited to configure one Tesla Model X. Oh, there's so much to talk about there. So we're going to configure mine and we're going to see if we can configure one cheap enough for Tom to go, I'm doing it. We cannot. (laughs) (laughs) We will try. Let's begin with uh, the opening salvo, which from now on, we're going to give you the parts per million of carbon in the atmosphere. It's 398.29 as of today from the Maui station. Boom. We're killing this earth. Literally, we're killing this earth. We're winning. (laughs) Remember back when uh, we first really started to talk about climate change a decade ago? People have been talking about it for 50 years, but... We really said 350 is a bad number to go over. We blew past that, and we're going past 400. Whoa. 350. We haven't seen 350 in like four years now, I think. It's amazing how we can fast get, it's going We can up. get back there if everybody buys an X, though. You know, right now, as we do this, the Paris climate change talks are on. We'll see what comes out of that. Um, but ahead of that, Bill Gates came out with a big piece in the Atlantic. And I'm going to uh, share a little bit of that audio for you right now. The world is going to consume almost twice as much energy 30 years from now as as it does today. Climate change is coming, and so we need to actually innovate ahead of that, the, the negative effects. We need innovation that gives us energy that's cheaper than today's hydrocarbon energy that has zero CO2 emission and is as reliable as today's overall energy system. And it's when you put all those requirements together, you go, wow, uh, that we need an energy miracle. And the way we're going to do this is he's going to help fund. He's pledged $2 billion to help create alternative technologies. He's seeing this as a tech issue that we are going to have to go at this with technology. It's not clear about who's going to be the winner, if there's going to be multiple solutions to this thing. But we need to get busy now and he's now like this is now a public health issue in his mind he talks about the fact that yes i our group funds a lot of uh, public health initiatives but when i look at this problem from a scientific point of view this is going to be the public health issue of the next 50 years global warming gotta fix it he's going to get busy what do you think tom i think you are 100 percent correct i think we need to stop using coal on this planet as quickly as possible right like that where's the most impact it's going to be in cars and in coal power plants. Can we get there? You know, we better hope that we can get there. However, this was, I was going to save this for a fun fact, but in the last 12 months through September of 2015, all of the utility scale solar power generated in the United States generated 25 terawatt hours. And now that seems like a lot. 25 terawatts. A terawatt. That's, That's a lot. lot. That's 25 of them. 0.61% of the total U.S. electricity production. So a very small amount, but we're making some strides. We got to get there. I believe coal accounts 
for 41% of these carbon emissions. Read this article. It's really good. He says we need sort of the Manhattan-style-like project, although you can't actually just take a lot of scientists and put them in New Mexico and come up with an atom bomb. But the concept... It turns out you can actually do that. Actually, you can. It's been done. (laughs) So been done. But the idea that we need to put the best minds on this and work very fast, and he's like, I don't even think we can achieve the 2030... um, reduction in carbon emissions because there is such a lead time with technology. So he's thinking 2050, we should be starting to put the things in place to reach that 80% reduction in carbon emissions by 2050. And if we're going to do that, we need to get serious right now. I'm just excited that somebody like Bill Gates, with a lot of cash, very smart, love him or hate him, is now turning his attention to this. He needs to talk to Zuckerberg about his $45 billion that he just decided to give away as well. Zuck just said, I'm going to give away 99% of my shares. That's a lot of shares. $45 billion. He's going to start small, though, billion a year for the next few years. Billion, whatever. He might not even recognize it. But can you imagine if uh, Bill Gates and Elon Musk and Zuckerberg and these guys can start to push this forward and then bring on governments as governments will have to be involved in this. It gives me some hope. I have no hope for Congress or anybody else to doing anything useful. They'll be bringing in these little snowballs of um, snow into Congress saying, what global warming? And then I want to myself. Well, I mean, but Congress is limited because they can only affect what's happening in this country for the most part. I mean, they can try to make you know, other things like the Kyoto Protocols and stuff like that. But people have to – a lot of countries have to buy into things like that. Uh, some countries are getting up to 70 and 80 percent uh, renewables. Germany is doing a great job. We're not and China's not. And until the world has U.S. and China getting serious, uh, they're the big two. We so are number one and number the, two. China so, is number one emitter now and yeah. we're number two. But maybe that's the key. Maybe it's just the two of us need to get together. Because we have such over- good relations. Over some sandwiches, <laughs> some tea, and just just knock it out. Like I don't know. I mean, China's seems like they're all in on solar panels. They got some big solar panel factories going over there. Yeah, the problem is, but uh, they're poor and coal is cheap, and they burn a lot of it. If you've looked at some of their cities recently, right? Because they're in their industrial revolution. sort of revolution, right? That's like, what they've we've said. gone through. That that's what they've said, and and hopefully that can change. You guys, you Americans, you Westerners. You had your industrial revolution, and you are so big and huge and powerful because you burnt everything in the ground and oil. That's it's our, true. It's our turn. It's our turn. But I think they're finding the environmental effects, and and hopefully this is why this is exciting to me. As Bill has said, if we got to get the cost of these renewables down lower than coal, that's the way you kill it. Make it cheaper, yeah, and then you'll kill it, or at least close. Like make it so you can have that conversation. Here's another thing. Let's move on. I have some hope. I've got some hope. So uh, Elon tweets about autopilot. Basically, as soon as we finished the last recording, and this happens every time, as soon as the recording is done, I swear that Elon listens. Yeah, he must. And then he sends out a giant quote on the Twitter so that we look like we're two weeks behind. So about two weeks ago, he said, um, I want some smart engineers to come over and work on autopilot. Send me some code and I will be interviewing you myself. And he'll probably ask that question. If I go <laughs> south and then you go west and then yeah. go west. Where are you? Where You're are very you? cold. So uh, that was clearly a public relations tweet. That was a, we are going to get really serious about autopilot and we want to tell the world. Yeah. Um, because that's not really how you find people to come and work for you by tweeting out. I guess maybe if you're Elon Musk, everybody follows you. Well, you he usually goes to the Apple and Google phone directories <laughs> to find people to work for him. Oh, mostly, snap. mostly he's just well, they're all, they're all doing it. Like there's three main, you know, innovative companies, and actually he was. They moved up to the third most innovative company on the list, 
And the list that Tom is talking about there is from Forbes Tech article on December 3rd, which uh, moved Tesla from like 44th up to number third behind Apple number one and Google number two. And so the innovative, but those guys are just, they're just poaching from each other constantly. They're moving people back and forth. And like, they think the head of autopilot is now doing robotics at Google. And it's, it's good times over there with the stealing of the people. But I digress. It turns out that uh, although there are a lot of engineers in the world, apparently there's not enough because everybody's poaching everybody else's engineers. Yeah. Um, So autopilot will be interesting to see where that goes. They want to, he's, as part of those tweets, they want to push for full autonomy as fast as they can. And I think everybody does. Apple does. Google does. And now Tesla wants to get to full autonomy. Uh, maybe because, Tom, he's seen what half autonomy is done. <laughs> yeah, on partial, partial autonomy es no bueno. And he hasn't yet come out and said, you know that uh, that guy from Google that said uh, full autonomy is much better than partial autonomy? He was right. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you got to listen to what the Google says. And for me, that's 85 times a day when I'm searching Google. <laughs> hey, Jeff Bezos, you know, he has a, his own rocket company. All these billionaires have rocket companies now. Elon's got one. I'm getting Jeff's one. Got one. I'm totally getting Tom's going to get company. one. And they had a successful launch and uh, return of a rocket that was they reusable did. and landed. Yeah. And everybody said, this is the first time this has happened. Elon was very quick to point out, no, no, this is not the first time this has happened. We've done it. We went up a little bit and came down and landed. <laughs> we didn't go up all the way and come down. But it's actually been done by other people as well. So initially, people were saying, this is the first time this has ever happened. It's not the first time, but it is exciting. So it's Blue Origin. That's um, Blue Bezos's company. It's called Blue Origin. There you go. And they are uh, very much in the in the race to sort of get these contracts that SpaceX just got a couple of these contracts from NASA. SpaceX got the the go ahead from NASA for their crew vehicle. And they've been doing some testing about launch pad aborts of the crew vehicle and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, Bezos and uh, Elon, they're in a battle for launching. And I think it feels like, from what I've been reading, that SpaceX is going to abandon the barge. Oh, right, really? so they've been trying yep. to land their their rockets on barges in the ocean in case bad things happen. No one's around to sort of die when they, they hit the side of the barge, but that's a very small footprint. So it looks like they're going to try to start landing them like on the Cape in Florida uh, on the ground. Yeah, and the, the barges, there's the water and the sea going up and down. Yeah, there's there. a lot of factors that go into the oh, whole yeah, barge. Interesting. So, so we're excited about the fact that these uh, people are competing. And if you can get a reusable rocket like that, the price comes down some extraordinary number, like 85%. Although I wonder how much carbon is emitted when one of these dudes sends up one of their rockets into the atmosphere. Yeah, they buy carbon credits. And they once they get to the moon or Mars, they drive Teslas. So it's an offset. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> so Tesla Rally, one of our favorite websites, had an article about uh, the explosion in EV chargers. And I should say, actually, the Tesla Rally did a little uh, thing about Tom and I on their blog, and uh, it's really been very helpful to us. So we want to thank those guys again. They're doing great work. And uh, we have no official association with them, but we just really love that site and we use it a lot and we suggest you too as well. And this is where that article led us. Absolutely. Uh, my name is Akhil Jarawal. Uh, I work at PlugShare. Um, we're the, the country's most popular charging station locator app. And uh, specifically, I work in business development at PlugShare. So I help uh, find new ways that we can use our data to uh, find ways to continue to support the app and, and add any other features to make our product even better. So, Akil, what are you trying to do over there with PlugShare and your apps? What's the deal? Uh, what we try to do is 
Um, there's so much charging infrastructure out there in North America. Uh, there's a lot of different charging networks, and then there's a lot of stations that are not networked. And so uh, when we first started in 2011, if you were an electric vehicle driver and you wanted to find a place to charge your electric vehicle, you had to have you know four or five different apps on your phone just to find the nearest charging station near where you lived or worked. And so uh, we came in and said, hey, you know, this doesn't make any sense. It's so difficult as an electric vehicle driver to find charging infrastructure. Um, why don't we go ahead and we add all these different stations to a single map so we have one uh, map that's the most complete and the most accurate. So what we did is two things. You know, We work closely with lots of different charging networks to make sure that their stations have uh, really good representation on our map. But we also, what makes us unique is we rely on the power of the crowd. Uh, we're a crowdsourced app, and you know, electric vehicle drivers are, are some of the most enthusiastic and engaged uh, communities uh, in any industry. And when you're an electric vehicle driver and you find a new charging station near where you live or where you work, um, you often want to share that information with other electric vehicle drivers in the community. So crowdsourcing is a really important piece of what we do. And all in all, between our network partnerships and crowdsourcing, we've generated the, the most accurate and complete map, which is a, a big reason why we've had so much success. Um, and as I mentioned, we're you know the country's most popular charging locator app. Uh, we have um, a huge community, which only makes our product even stronger because we have even more people sharing charging stations near where they live and work. So you're the guy with the data. What's going on with the, the infrastructure for electric car charging? That when we first started in, in 2011, we first launched the app, uh, there are fewer than 2,000 public stations. And um, and now that we've gotten into t- the end of 2015, there's over 30,000 public charging stations in the country, which is just incredible. I mean, that's you know, 15x growth in, in five years. So we really come a long way. So Akil's audio is not great. So let me summarize some of the other things he said. He said um, that this public infrastructure is considered stuff where it's public and it's out there and you can use it and it's free, whatever. And it also includes places like hotels that also have uh, a station that you could use if you stayed at the hotel. So it's not completely public. One of my beefs or concerns with the infrastructure, the charging infrastructure, is that there are so many different groups. There's like Plug-in America or there's Blink. And if you're not a member of that group, you can't easily use that charger, even though it's right there and you need it right now. Well, they actually have a solution for this, which I am super excited about. Listen. One of the features that we're most excited about PlugShare that's gotten a lot of attention from our users uh, is a, a new feature that we're rolling out called Pay with PlugShare. We have a, a, a new um, partnership that we're going to be announcing really shortly that we're really excited about. Um, but the idea here is that you know, rather than having to deal with the hassle of having to have a membership card at each of the different charging networks that you want to use, uh, if you, we want to, you, every driver to be able to use PlugShare to access any network charging station. That's our big vision. And we have partnerships with lots of different current charging networks, including uh, the GD Watt Station Network, SemiCharge, and AeroVirobit. And we have another big uh, partnership coming up soon. Um, and so our vision is you know, just to be able to walk up to a charging station, you open up your mobile app, you find the charging location on the phone, it takes a few seconds, and then you, you just hit the pay with PlugShare button on your phone, and then you'll be able to activate the charging station. So uh, it's a feature that's growing. It's getting a lot, a lot of uh, attention and popularity, and we're really excited to, to roll it out to, to new networks going forward. Another thing you can do with this app, you can message somebody who has a charger that you might need to use. Not as big a deal in California where there are public chargers everywhere, but a big deal in places like 
Australia, for example. We use uh, the power and the enthusiasm of the electric vehicle community to add charging stations to our map that are what we call home shares. So if you're an electric vehicle driver and you live, you know, let's say in, in near Phoenix or something, uh, and there wasn't a lot of charging stations near where you were, um, you, you might share your home. You might decide, hey, I want to share my home on the map. So if an ele- another electric vehicle driver is passing through, they can stop at my home and uh, and I'll let them plug it for free so they can they can fill up and then and get on to their, their final destination. Uh, you know, it's 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 awesome that uh, the electric vehicle community is so is so giving and so willing to pay it forward. Um, you know, we have stories of of electric vehicle drivers, you know, maybe driving through Phoenix, for example, and uh, you know they might bring a bottle of wine with them, but they know that they're going to be going through a place that doesn't have a lot of uh, charging infrastructure. They need to fill up, uh, and then you know they'll they'll give a, a token of their appreciation to uh, the homeowner for enabling their trip to happen. So. Uh, it's really it's really easy to do if you if you really want to use a, a home sharing station and there's not a lot of other infrastructure near where uh, you're passing through. We provide the ability for you to message the homeowner and plug share, and then um, they'll go ahead and let you know when you can come by to plug in the, plug in your car, uh, and then hopefully um, if everything works out, you'll you'll be able to get on your way. So I always have to ask, what's the business model here? How are you making money? Are you nonprofit? Are you for profit? Uh, how does this work? Because it's currently basically free. We are a, a for-profit company. Um, we, as I said, we launched in 2011. But our app is free, and that's a really important part of what we do. Um, the way that we make money, what our business model is, is uh, we take our, our data, which we help to curate from both our network partners and the crowd. Uh, we provide that data to industry partners and industry stakeholders who have a lot of interest in having uh, access to accurate charging station information for, for two purposes primarily. Now, one is infrastructure planning. Uh, utilities and automakers in 2015 are increasingly interested in getting involved in electric vehicle infrastructure to support the growth of the sector. If you're a utility, electric vehicles represent a, a huge potential load uh, to the grid, um, which can you know, be a, a tremendous opportunity to, um, to sort of increase uh, the, the size and the role of their business. And then automakers obviously want to help sell cars. A lot of automakers are looking at Tesla's model and saying, hey, you know, if we get involved in installing charging infrastructure, we can help sell more vehicles. And so a lot of those automotive and utility partners of ours in particular uh, are looking to us to get access to, uh, to license their data to know where current charging infrastructure is so they can find the gaps and know where to install future charging infrastructure. So again, we have no official association with PlugShare, but it is an app that both Tom and I use. Tom actually uses it a lot because he doesn't have as much range on his RAV4. So thanks to Akil and thanks to uh, PlugShare. And since we're talking about apps, I've got to tell you, as a Tesla driver specifically, I really like the Teslarati app. All right, so you get the Teslarati website, which we love, but also the Teslarati app is really good. It's basically just Tesla you know, charging stations and uh, also destination charges, but it's also got a news segment and notifications. So check that one out as well. If specifically you're a Tesla driver, so you've got your plug share app has lots and lots of different charges for lots and lots of different cars, but also specifically if you're just looking for Tesla superchargers and you're looking for maps and you're looking for destination charges and some news and some other stuff, check out our friends again at Teslarati. They've got a great app as well. Hey, you want to tell us about uh, uh, Gigafactory? I mean, last time I talked about the fact that they've got a Gigafactory, they're building it, and they've already said this is ridiculous. We have to make it way bigger because they've got so much uh, pent-up demand. D- demand for their 
batteries, they're going to make it bigger. But you said something crazy, Tom. There's there's another gigafactory. Say what? Solar City is building its own five billion dollar gigafactory in, of all places, Buffalo, in what was a former steel mill with. $750 million of investment from the state of New York. How did this uh, slip by? How I'm not 100% slip? sure. This announcement was made like quite a few years ago, and it's it's close to being done. I think it's going to be online in 2016, and it will be the largest U.S. solar pow- solar panel manufacturing plant. So it's going back to the Rust Belt, Buffalo, right? Back to yes. the industrialized center, the historical industrial center of America and putting in this giant factory that's 1.2 million feet, big enough to hold eight Home Depots inside and they're going to be cranking out solar panels to hopefully save cities like Buffalo and Miami and Manhattan from uh, the imminent doom of global warming, right? Miami is over. <laughs> it's gone. If so, they're the not making sea levels rise. They're not making um, batteries, and they're making no, no, solar no. panels. No, yeah, it's a, it's a solar panel gigafactory. Wow, that is fascinating. Oh, run by Solar City, so they've invested five billion dollars. How are they only worth three billion dollars? <laughs> I don't. Know Something how is this weird. Works. It's weird. So, Tom, we've got another interview this episode. Very exciting. There's a thing called Tesla Loop. Now, a friend of ours, Katie, said, Mel, you might be interested in this. And uh, it turns out that there's this dude. Kid. And he's got this idea that, um, well, let's hear it in his own words. My name is Hayden Sonat, and I'm the founder of Tesla Loop. So, can you explain to uh, our listeners, what are you doing here? My understanding is it's kind of a bit like uh, Uber, but with Tesla's but for longer trips, but give it to us in your words. Well, the best way to compare it would be Uber Pool meets Virgin America, where we're offering a somewhat similar service of which Uber offers, except we're only focusing on long-distance routes, which is city to city. And we're also incorporating Virgin America's amazing customer service and real positive environment in these cars. So we're transporting people city to city in Teslas, as somewhat of an alternative to either driving yourself or flying. So where did this idea come from? And tell us uh, how old you are and what's your background. Well, right now I'm 16. I turned 16 last February. And the idea came when I got my license. I told my dad that I really wanted to get a car. And he said that in order to get that car, I'd have to work and get my own job. And I had a decent amount of Tesla and Elon Musk's platforms. I had some background information about that. So I came up with the idea to combine a car and a job and pay for a Tesla by and ta- and pay for the Tesla lease by driving people back and forth from Vegas in the weekends. And uh did it work? Did you get your Tesla? Well, we placed the order in late May and we got the car late June and we started the service on July 5th of this year. So how has it been going so far? Um are you making enough to make the payments? Yeah, so far we've been profitable on the on single car trips and it's actually been going really well we've had a lot of amazing customers who are all really involved with everything we're doing and everyone seems to be on board so far we have amazing reviews on yelp planning to expand into a lot more cars in the near future and get a lot more routes locally in southern california and then further on expand outside of california and even outside of the u.s because really we can just follow wherever tesla puts superchargers into the ground we can link two superchargers together no matter where it is. 
So is this the key to the business model, is that you get a car, it's expensive up front, but then the fuel costs are essentially zero, so you can amortize that cost over a lot of miles and not be very expensive? It really comes down to that where when you buy a Tesla, they offer you free long-distance travel forever with the superchargers. And then overall, the whole payments of the lease and insurance together are less than 2500 a month per car. So when it comes down to electricity, driver costs due to autonomy, that's going to be allowing us to have pilots instead of paid drivers, where we turn the driver's seat into a profit because of that. That's where we're really seeing the profitability on the, these trips. And then also, since we can charge $85 one way and these motors run for millions of miles, even though in the first stages of getting the car before you pay off the lease and before you're actually fully profitable, further down the road from there, once you're out of the lease and this and you're reaching the full utilization of the car, then you really see big profits come. So did you choose Tesla specifically because you wanted a Tesla and this was a smart way to pay it off? Or was there something more to the decision about doing this? Well, what Tesla has done is create a platform where they're combining superchargers, long, superchargers which give you long-distance travel, electric cars, which don't emit any carbon emissions into the atmosphere. And also autopilot was another really big feature of this because without autopilot, you need to pay a driver to sit in the driver's seat. And that's for safety reasons as well as customer perception of the whole ride there. So with autopilot, you can actually get rid of the driver's seat. And that was one of the biggest costs because even today with version 7, you don't have to steer or use any of the pedals when you're on the highway. And since on the routes that we choose, around 98% of the miles are fully highway, it's really where autonomous electric cars shine their best. Are you saying that you don't have your drivers in the car? You're just letting the people drive the car? Is that what you're doing? No, right now we do have paid drivers, but soon we're going to be incorporating something which we call the pilot's program, where you can apply to become a pilot of our car and you do a little bit of training and prereq activities. And then from there, on any of our routes, you can choose to pilot the car instead of being a passenger. You can sit in the driver's seat of the car and pilot until you get to the highway. And then from there, you just have to do basic driving. What are the costs? Right now, your routes are mostly Vegas, LA. Is that right? Yeah, currently, that's our only route that we're operating. And who... Uh, wants to take a Tesla from Vegas to LA? Is it people who are afraid of driving? What is the customer base? It's really varied customer base. Sometimes we see a lot of super commuters where you live in one city and work in the other, and this creates a very low-cost alternative to flying back and forth every month. And then we also have leisure passengers who just don't want to drive themselves and don't want to have to deal with airport hassles and going through security and dealing with um, flying. And then also there's people who want to be really productive on the trip because instead of having to either drive themselves or fly, you can just get into our car, go on your laptop where we offer you Wi-Fi and a lot of other arrangements of amenities. And you can actually work straight for however long the trip is compared to having to wait till you're 10,000 feet in the air to turn on your laptop. Do you have sort of ride sharing? So you've got a car going from LA to Vegas. Are you taking one passenger or do you fill the car up as full as you can? The car's full. The car's maximum capacity is four passengers because we have executive rear seating in the cars, where you have one pilot, a passenger sitting up front, and two in the back. And what we've seen is that f for the majority of trips, we have around two, maybe three, depending on the day of the week passengers. 
and we've had over 300 customers so far, and a lot of them have actually turned t- taking a test loop into their routine where they've gone many times, more than five times since we started. Fantastic. How will the Model X uh, figure into your future plans? Do you see this as something that would be even more desirable for people wanting this kind of service? Yeah, I think the Model X is going to be really great to have because we're going to be able to have two extra seats in the car, which is going to also have the same range and speed as the the Model S is. So check it out, Test Loop, T-E-S-L-O-O-P. Just between Vegas and LA right now, it might fit into your lifestyle. I can see that there can be some issues with this going forward and competition, but just impressive that somebody is thinking of this as a possibility. And the fact that uh, a 16-year-old is the CEO of the company, pretty cool, dude. Pretty cool. Yeah, on the I have a lot of questions. I wasn't there for the interview. On the surface, it seems like a really ingenious kind of idea. I want to go to Vegas. I don't own a Tesla. I want to sort of relax. Maybe I'm super afraid of flying and I just want to go to Vegas. For 85 bucks. you can get in this kid's Tesla. They'll have a driver and he'll take you to Vegas from like Culver City to Vegas. That's really the only route right now. He's got four or five stops in West L.A. I don't know. I mean – do we really love it? He's a very passionate kid, Very wants to do the right thing, and I get that. Does this have legs? Only time will tell. Yeah, you brought up some um, important points just in terms of the finances and how this works and how much capacity you'd have to run it to really make money. And I think the summary is that this is a lot like the airline industry. The reason that the airline industry seems to be in perpetual turmoil is to get the prices down to where people accept it. They have to run at a really high capacity, and if they drop below that, the margins are razor thin, and I'm not yeah. sure this does any difference. But maybe what this is like is Uber. You get it out there. Yeah. Uh, you get uh, some good feelings going. You show that this is a fun thing. Mm-hmm. You get more and more people using it, and then later on, you can sort of crank up those margins a little bit. Yeah. Uh, sort of a, a bait and switch. Well, for him, well, you know, part of like he's got sort of 20 to 25% of unused margin in the driver's seat right now. So he spoke about that in the interview. He talked about getting rid of the paid driver and having a pilot that you pay maybe a little bit less for your trip in exchange for driving the car, monitoring the autopilot part of the car. So again, if this car was totally autonomous, he's got 25% more seats. Right now, he's got three seats in his Model S. The question I have is, are these the kinds of small kind of business ideas that eventually are going to kill free supercharging? Because this is not what Elon had in mind, right? So now this kid has no fuel costs because of supercharging. I cannot speak for Elon Musk, but as a young entrepreneur himself, I'm pretty sure he's saying something like, dude, nice. But I don't know. Hey, let's now configure my X. It's what you've all been waiting for. Let me give you the background here. I got an X and then I got another X in terms of the reservation. And my plan was I will get an X for my wife, which is the one we're about to configure. And then later on, I will trade in my S and I'll get myself an X because I'm pretty sure I'm going to like that form factor more. Having shown my wife some of the stuff about the X, she's like, I'm not so sure. I have a Toyota Highlander and I love it. And I don't know if I want a Tesla X. Uh, Let's hear what she has to say. Remember. No, I can remember no, I better. Remember. Okay, everybody, settle down. No, I'm the person that re- is remembering. Um, the reason why I was concerned 
is because those fabulous bat wings are slightly ridiculous. Falcon wings. Whatever, bat, falcon, whatever the hell wings they are. Yeah, I just feel like you're trying to be cool. You're trying to blend in and you pull in and all of a sudden the roof's coming up, things are going out. Um, What were my other concerns? You worry about the non-folding middle row. Oh, yeah. What's up with the non-folding middle row? Because if you're going to shove a lot of stuff in the back, you need it to fold flat. You got stuff to put in there. I couldn't possibly agree more. (laughs) Wait, I'm not done. So I think that's all well and good, Mary. But let's be honest. That car's going to pull into the driveway. It's going to be super, super sexy. You're going to drive it one time and Mel will never see it again. Okay, so Tom, I'm actually pretty sloppy and common and I'm very happy to drive whatever. So unless it functions well, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, you're both super sloppy and common. <laughs> but still. That is shocking. You said it. I mean, we're all, let's be honest. All three of us are super sloppy right. and common. But we shouldn't like, tell everybody. But we shouldn't tell everyone. But we did because we are the common man, right? That's why this show is interesting, right? Because the three of us, there's no possible way the three of us even had a conversation about a $100,000 car. If it isn't this car, right? It doesn't happen. Okay. Right? Like the three of us have known each other for a very long time, have put all kinds of toxic chemicals and foam cores and jammed things and ruined our headliners in our car, (laughs) right? Like this is not who we are. So how did Tesla make us this? What is it? It's actually an incredibly important point and – I don't know what it is. Why do people buy Apple products when you can get a functional computer for a third of the price? Why would you think about buying a Tesla when the most expensive car you ever had before that Tesla was $35,000 and you're going to triple it? It is insane. It's very complicated. It's because you want to help, you believe in it, you're a geek, and it's also, frankly, just because it is beautiful and absolutely beautifully designed product. So it's a lot of things, but it's a really good point. But it's not sustainable. There's only a certain number of people who are rich enough, ultimately, to buy cars that are this expensive. We know that. So we're going to have to get that Model 3 out there to expand this concept. We've talked about it many times. But, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, let's get into the configuration. Mel and Tom, two idiots, configuring a Model X. Yeah, we're sharing a mic, so it's a little bit, a little bit awkward. It's very lovely. Uh, we're going to configure the X. So here I'm on the site. Mm. And... Um, There's a picture of a black X and it says, and a black button that says design. So many of you have not ever seen this page and I am one of them. And um, the next thing it says to do is, uh, do you want to lease it? Do you want to lend it? Other financing cash. I think I'm going to do a Tesla lease because here's my thinking. There's going to be autonomous vehicles in three years and I don't want it. Or there's going to be so many upgrades, I'm just going to want to flip this car. So I'm going to go for the Tesla lease. So really, are we configuring my X as well? Uh, We'll do that second. No, I mean like, will I own your X in three years after your lease is up? (laughs) There's a good chance that's going to happen. All right, so we're going to click on the design. Here we go. So what we start with, Tom, is the color. So here are your paint options. I like the white or the pearl white. Um, I have a gray Tesla right now, so I'm deciding between the white and the pearl white. What color do you like? Well, the pearl white is an additional 1500 Um I don't know. I'm kind of – I like white, white cars. That's just my thing. So I would go with the white. Okay. 
and the, the you've got some wheel options here, the twenty inch silver wheels. Now we and so after listening to the audio that we laid down, I realised it is just so not interesting to you. But the point is that you can go through and you can choose a lot of the options, and you can configure the car from a very low end seventy D with five seats and no frills for about eighty thousand dollars, and you can go all the way up to over one hundred and thirty thousand dollars. I chose white. And I chose to have just the uh, 90. I didn't need the really fast one. And I did want to have the air suspension. And I did a few other things. And I got this car up to about $100,000. And I think for a lot of people, that's about where it is. If you're uh, really looking for a spectacularly fantastic car and you want all the bells and whistles and you can afford it, you can jack this thing up into the 130s to the 140s. If you want to strip it down, I just want to get the range, and a 70D is enough with just over 200 miles range, you can get this for about $80,000. And within that, there's quite a big range. Yeah, it's interesting. How do you drop a hundred k on a car you've sat in for 30 seconds at a Tesla event and never driven? I'll tell you how to do that, Tom. You get your muscles working up to it. By having spent $90,000 on a car that you'd never even sat in for one second. I did that two years ago. And you've been very happy Happy. and you got a show out of it. For those of you that actually want to see visually some of uh, the options and how it affects pricing, I'm actually going to throw together a screen capture for you and go through that. And uh, you can check that out on a link on the website. I think that's really useful if you're a little bit further down the list than I am and you want to see what that is, or if you're a potential Model X uh, owner in the future and you want to see the options and how that affects your price, I think you'll find that uh, pretty useful, much actually more useful than us trying to do it in an audio format. But a few more things from them. So there it is. If you're buying this, are you saying if you're buying this for economic reasons, this is a really, really, really expensive car and maybe I should buy more solar panels even though I don't have any room to put them on anything? Well, yeah, you can put solar panels on my house if you'd like. I mean, that's if it's really about saving the planet, then there's your solution to that. you got a house in Oxnard you could throw some solar panels on and just tie them into your neighbor's grid or something like that. No, I'm not recommending that. But the real – I guess the real question is, okay, there's no, there's no savings. Before – okay, I've known you for how long? About eight years? Sure. Maybe we've been working together for eight years, friends for a few years before that. And me, neither one of us are – what we would consider to be like expensive car guys, correct? Right? Like you're a guy when I met you were driving a minivan, I believe. That yes. is a bit of you still have it. I drive it occasionally. It's not a very nice car, but it does what cars need to do, which is get you from A to B, right? And then you upgraded, you bought a lovely red leaf, you love that leaf. That cost you, I don't know, a third of this, maybe? Yeah. Probably a third, about thirty, thirty-five thousand dollars for that right. lovely leaf that went uh, seventy miles. Seventy miles, and that and and that wasn't a huge issue for you. There were some range issues. You still had a gas car. I mean, again, for ninety percent of the driving, and we've talked about this ad nauseum, basically on this show, that's pretty good. Seventy to hundred miles a day is pretty good. So this gets you more, no range anxiety, all that other things. But it's sort of like you're right now. You're kind of making the decision to not buy the Dell and you're buying the Apple, right? You're buying the the pretty more expensive thing. How do you make that decision? Like, how do you get there? Well, I did this. I tortured myself with the last S because this is like, you know, you've heard the concept of the limousine liberal. This is the Tesla zine liberal. <laughs> like, I'm trying to do this to help save the planet. 
um, you could take that money. If your point is you could take the difference between this and, say, getting a BMW uh, i3, you could take that savings of, say, $50,000 and buy more solar panels or buy carbon credits. So if it's purely about reducing carbon emissions, there are much better ways to do it than buy this. But I'm buying into the concept. I want to support the company. And also, I want to buy this car as a toy. And at the same time, a toy that's good for the world. So there's definitely a big chunk of this as being purely, I want a toy. I worked hard on my life. I want a toy. But I want a good toy that's not going to hurt people. It's a good toy. Right. Like you're not buying a Lamborghini. You're not buying a Ferrari. You're not buying some other kind of supercar. If you're going to have a midlife crisis car purchase, this is probably the best one. But I think, you know, for the average person, and I don't know, I mean, you're – you're a doctor. You're an entrepreneur. So, so thirteen hundred dollars a month is not is not going to kill you, right? And and it's not. It wouldn't theoretically kill me either, right? Well, let's get to that. So, I'm I've made my decision. I'm going to do it. But now Tom is on the edge. I want to configure the cheapest X we can, and I want to see if Tom goes. Yep, you're right. I'm going to do it. So, are you ready? Let's do this together. Yeah. Here we go. Let's do it. So that's going to be for us. It's going to be unfortunately the seventy D five seat. So no third row of seating. No autopilot, no smart air suspension, no XM satellite radio, ultra high fidelity sound. I'm still getting the accessory hub because that shit is free. And we're at currently, and the same color is the same thing, we are at $80,000 cash price plus destination and documentation fee. So ninety grand after taxes. Uh, and before federal tax credit. I don't think I would lease it, but let's see how much the lease would be. So we're looking at 937 for 15,000 miles a year with 6,600 due at lease signing. So I would be in a situation where after three years, I would have given Tesla $42,000. The gas savings are a little different for me because I'm already driving an EV, right? So I don't pay for gas now. So that's sort of a misnomer in this particular in particular situation. So that's a lot. Are you going to do it? There it is, the car of your dreams, the car that you can drive to soccer practice with no range of anxiety. You can plug into the Tesla network, Tom, for a thousand for nine hundred and forty dollars a month. Are you getting it? Come on. I think the answer for me would be no, but you know, I, I'm married. And my wife is the one who wants the X, right? We're going way long here, but here is an email from a subscriber. When there's mathematics involved, me and Mel sort of occasionally sometimes <laughs> Fall short. Well, I actually, I love this email. I'll read it, but I'll tell you um, why I said the thing the way I said it. So I learned about your show on Friday and listened to all of them over the weekend. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Good stuff. Thanks for doing the show. In the episode where you're discussing Solar City's recent announcement about solar efficiency improvements, you indicated that the efficiency went somewhere from 18 to 22% and claimed that was a 4% improvement. That's not true. That's a 22% improvement, a big deal. Picture a tasty pie. I love this. <laughs> Picture a tasty pie with an 18% uh, piece cut out for you to eat. Now choose whether you'd prefer to have a second piece to be just 4% bigger than the first piece or eight or 22%. Joe wrote this on Thanksgiving just for the record. <laughs> he was really thinking about pie. So, uh, Joe, it's a, that is true. And I'm going to have to go doctor scientist on you here. So, Ooh, doctor scientist, nice. Yeah, call me doctor scientist. So, in medicine in particular, we try no longer to talk about relative improvements in things uh, because you're absolutely correct. The relative improvement here is actually 22%, but the absolute improvement is 4%, 18 
to 22 is actually a 4% absolute improvement. The reason we talk about that is because in studies in medicine, you say this new drug will reduce your chance of a heart attack or reduce your chance of dying, dying Tom, by uh, a relative reduction of 22%. So what does that mean? Tom is 22% less dead. So in medicine, we talk about like that absolute lot. reductions because absolute reductions allow us to do this thing called number needed to treat, which is how many people just like Tom, if I gave this medicine to, would be at live at the end. So you can only do that math when you do absolute reductions. All right? So we were right and wrong. We're both – it's just a different way to do the numbers. So, so that's why I do it. But when you're talking about stuff like this, it's probably better to talk in terms of relative improvements. So gotcha. Thanks, Joe. Much better efficiency, 22%. Sounds better than 4%. I went all doctory. I'm sorry. Not going to happen again. Well, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we have gone way over our allotted time. My name is Mel Herbert. He is Tom Wilson, and we are... Talking. 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 Talking Tesla. You get 17 speakers with neodymium magnets. I don't think that's actually a real metal. I'm pretty – I have a, uh, an apron with the periodic table on it. I don't think that's on it. <laughs>